All right. Hey, we did kick off this series called Get Your Bag last week, and we began talking about a money mindset that God blesses, right? We want to shift our financial outlook, or our financial approach, rather, so that we can experience this shift in our financial circumstances. We told you this series is based on the parable of the talents, a teaching that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter number 25. And in the first message last week, we learned God is the owner I am the manager. Everything that I have has been given to me by God to steward or to manage for some temporary period of time while I'm here on earth. And all of it ultimately belongs to him. I am ultimately responsible to the owner for how I use the resources that he's entrusted to me. Today, what I want to do is I want to read the exact same passage of scripture, Matthew 25, same parable we read last week. But I want to share a second shift in perspective that needs to occur if you want to have God's blessing on your financial life. Namely, I hope to help you recognize this afternoon that your money issues are probably not what you think they are. Your money problems probably don't come from the place you think they do. Let me show you what I mean. Matthew 25 verses 14 to 29, the parable of the talents. Remember, Jesus taught us this. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one servant, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last servant, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then the master left on his trip. Now we'll pause real quick and uh, I'll remind you, I told you this is called the parable of the talents. And that's because the phrase translated in English there, bag of silver in the Greek language was the word talent and talent was a unit of money. Money. It's like a grand is a thousand dollars. A talent was a specific amount of money, quite a lot amount of money, as we'll see here in just a moment. So when Jesus is talking about these bags of money, the word he used was talents. If you hear me saying talent throughout this message, I'm not talking about your skills and abilities. I'm talking about literal bags of money because that's what Jesus was talking about. Okay. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more. And he said, master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I've earned five more. So the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount of money. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I have earned two more. So the master said to him as well, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant came with uh, the servant with one bag of silver came and said, master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your original talent back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. 
Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from, tho- uh, from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Oh, there is so much to this particular parable that we could pull out. But what I want to do is give you kind of this second mindset shift right at the top of the message. And then I'll spend the rest of our time together today kind of helping you to understand how this is found in the text. All right. So here it is. The truth for today. God is less concerned with what I have than with how I use what I have. God is less concerned with what I have than he is with how I'm using what I've been given. Now, listen, I'm just like anybody else, okay? If I'm feeling the financial pinch in my life and you say, Dan, what's, what's your problem? What's the, the financial issue you're facing? I'm going to say, I ain't got enough money. Uh, if I had more resources, if I had more income, if I could get a promotion or a raise, or if I could get a side hustle and just bring in a little more extra money, then everything would be okay. I would not be under the same sort of financial stress that I'm experiencing. The answer to my financial problems is more money. But is that really true? I don't think it is. Let's look at what Jesus actually teaches us here in this parable. The first thing I want you to notice is that each servant in this story received a different amount of money to manage. Now, I apologize if there are any socialists in the room, okay? But the master didn't give everybody equal resources. There's definitely a part of me that's like, well, that's not really fair, especially if it turns out I'm a two-bagger. I'm like, what, two? I could definitely handle five. How come I don't have five bags, God? What do I have to do to get five bags like she's got, all right? But remember, this is the master's money. He can divvy it up however he wants to. If he wants to give five to her and two to you and one to them, it's not your business because it all belongs to him. He's the owner. You are just the manager. Also, don't overlook the detail that Jesus provides there in verse number 15, that the manager divides his wealth among his servants in proportion to their abilities. See, the master knew something about his servants that maybe they didn't even know about themselves. He knew what they could handle. He gave them the amount of resources that they were capable of of managing and stewarding well. Another way to put this is he gave them the resources they needed to accomplish the assignment that he had for them. The the two bag servant, his job was to get two more bags. He didn't need to get five, which means he didn't need five bags in the first place. The servants were given what they needed in order to fulfill the assignment and responsibility that the manager had for them. Now, if this idea of, you know, the servants receiving differing amounts, if that still bothers you, like maybe your assessment of what you think you can handle seems to be different from what God says you can handle because you got two bags right now. You really want five. If you find yourself in this weird moment where you don't have the resources that you think you should, I want you to to remember or understand you can always grow in your abilities. When the master says he divided his money among his servants in proportion to their abilities, their abilities were not set in stone. You can always get better and wiser and and better equipped to handle whatever resources that you've been given. 
Remember in this um, story at the end there, the master says to the servant that had been given five bags, because you managed five well, now you are able to handle 10. He had leveled up essentially, right? In the, in this story, he's got five bags at the start. He's got 10 at the end in like another earlier episode that Jesus didn't tell us. It's entirely possible that the five bagger only had two, but he proved he could be faithful with two. So then he got five and then he leveled up again. And now he's managing 10 resources. Jesus is not saying like, okay, some people are born to be rich. And unfortunately you were born to be poor. That's just how it goes. You're a two bagger. You're a one bagger. Learn to live with it. No, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying for whatever reason in this season, God has given you this amount of resources to manage in a future season. God may give you more resources as well, but the key is God will give more to those who prove they can handle more. God will give more to those who prove that they can handle more. So the first thing I want you to see here is that each servant received a different amount of money to manage. The second thing I want you to notice is that although each servant received differing amounts, they were all still incredibly wealthy. You you feel bad for the guy who got one talent. You're like, man, that stinks. He only got one and the other guy got five. He's so poor in comparison to the other guy. But remember what I told you last week? A talent was worth 20 years salary for an average laborer in the first century. So in modern dollars, one talent was worth somewhere between 1 million and $2 million. Let's just peg it right in the middle at $1.5 million all the servants were wealthy. They all had more resources to manage than you might realize at first reading. Are you ready for a very uncomfortable truth? By any objective measure, the people in this room this afternoon are among the absolute wealthiest people on earth. You didn't know it, but you woke up today filthy rich. Now you say, I don't know who you're talking to. I've been called a lot of things in my life, but rich has never been one of them, okay? My boss is rich. The people who live in that neighborhood are rich. The people that have that kind of career are rich. I am not rich. And I understand, I genuinely do. It is hard to kind of wrap your mind around the fact at just how blessed we all really are, okay? If if your point of comparison, your frame of reference is only the people in this city, then you you won't have to look too hard to find people that have more resources than you do. I'll also point out, you wouldn't have to look that hard to find people that had a lot less resources than you do. But to me, only comparing ourselves to others in the city of Calgary is a bit arbitrary, right? Like why stop there? In fact, I think the only way that we can accurately understand just how blessed each of us are is to compare ourselves to all the people around the world. And when you go global, When you look at your resources, your wealth, your salary, all of those different things in comparison to people around the world, you realize you are way wealthier than you might have ever understood. Let me give you a few facts about global wealth and earning. The median income around the world is $240 a month. That means that half the people on the planet live on about $3,000 a year. Oh man, why'd you have to say that? My salary doesn't sound that bad now that he says that. (sighs) Okay, let's say you earn minimum wage in Alberta. 
you're like, man, I only earned, I earned the bare minimum that the government says anybody is allowed to earn. I earn minimum wage, but I work a full-time job, 35 hours a week, let's call it. If you work 35 hours a week and you earn minimum wage doing it, you are in the 88th percentile of wage earners in the world. And if you're one of those really blessed couples or households and your household income is 125,000 or higher, which I know some of you guys are like 125,000. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine that kind of money. I get it. But there are some of you in the room right now and you're like, yeah, that's me. If your household income is 125,000 or higher, you're a one percenter. You earn more than 99% of the people on the planet right now. And understand this is the richest year that humans have ever had. So like, not only do you earn more than 99% of people that are alive today, you earn more than basically everybody that has ever lived throughout history, except like Solomon. You know what I'm saying? We are incredibly wealthy by any measure. Do you understand? If you're in this 1% category, right? Like to most people around the world, you're in the same stratosphere as Elon Musk and Oprah. Like they just couldn't fathom $125,000 a year. When you're living on $3,000 a year, this amount of money is absurd. It's insane. It's really, really hard to even come to terms with. You're wealthier than you realize. If you still have some trouble with this, I want you to join me and Sherry and some others and, and go down on Tuesday night to the drop-in center. And I want you to come serve dinner to some of the um, needy folks in our city. And it only takes like 30 minutes. Super easy to do. It's actually a, a really meaningful time. Okay. But after we get done serving dinner, I want you to pull up a chair to one of the tables and I want you to sit down there with the residents and I want you to explain to them just how poor you are. I want you to tell them about your lack of resources. I want you to tell them about how, yeah, we've only got a three bedroom house, but we really need a four bedroom house. Yeah, I drive a seven year old car, but I wouldn't really feel comfortable unless I was driving a two year old car. I want you to tell them about all of your financial lack. Any takers? Of course not, right? Because we understand that by any measure, we have a lot more wealth than we realize. We have been given and entrusted with resources that most of the rest of the world would just go googly-eyed at. They can't believe that we have as much as we do. See, we think our problem is a lack of resources, but the numbers tell a different story. We think the solution to our financial issues is more money. But you've already proven that false a couple times in your life, haven't you? To borrow some language from the parable, do you know, there was a time in your life where you were a one-bagger. Like, you just graduated from university, you were working that minimum wage job, you know, in retail or something, and you were like, oh, nobody can survive on one bag. If I could just have two bags, if I could just get two bags, then all my financial trouble would go. I would not have to worry about money at all. I'm not greedy. I don't need five bags. I just need two. God, if you would give me two, I would be set for life. And so you worked hard and God opened some doors and you got a job in the industry. And suddenly you were earning two bags instead of one. And for a little while, your financial problems evaporated. But a strange thing happened. Few years in, the same problems that you were having at one bag started to creep in at two bags. And you thought to yourself, 
Oh, how naive was I? Nobody can live on two bags. Come on. That was so silly of me. God, I need five bags. If I can get five bags, all of my financial trouble will go away. I will not have any more stress. I won't have to sweat my purchases anymore. God, all I need is five bags and I'll be set. So... You put your nose to the grindstone, you worked for another decade, you got promotions and raises, you married somebody who was themselves a three-bagger, and suddenly you're in a five-bag household. And for a little while, your financial problems evaporated. And then a funny thing happened. The stresses and problems that you experienced at two bags came back at five. And now you find yourself saying, God, if I only had 10 bags... At some point, we have to acknowledge the fact that the same problems keep creeping into our financial life, no matter our income level. So maybe the issue is not how much I'm earning. The primary issue is how I'm using what I'm earning. See, I told you at the top of the message, God is more concerned with how you use the resources you've been given than with how many resources you've been given. Can I share a financial secret with you that absolutely changed my life? I've told you many times, like I was so bad at money early on, so bad at it. And there are a series of things that happened that really flipped the script for me and helped me to get much healthier in this area of my life. And there was something that a, a preacher said one time. And when he said it, it was like a light bulb went on in my mind and nobody has ever been able to shut it off. It has completely transformed the way that I view income and money. And I think it has the power to do it for you as well. Here's the truth. Money simply makes you more of what you already are. Money simply makes you more of what you already are. See, your culture tells you your spiritual enemy tells you that like, I would be generous if I had more to be generous with. I know I need to save and I will once I have more money to save with, right? But hear what I'm saying. If you are stingy with one bag, you'll be twice as stingy when you get two bags. If you didn't save when you had two bags, you're not going to save anymore when you get five bags. And if you're generous when you have five bags worth of resources, I would bet my bag, that you were probably generous when you only had two resources or two uh, bags of money, two talents to work with. Why? Because money can't change your heart. We say, when I get more money, then I'll change the way that I spend. But spending is a heart issue. Spending is a priorities issue. Money will only make you more of what you already are. This is why the, the master says to his servants, You've proven that you're faithful with two bags. That's why you can get five. Or you've proven faithful with five. That's why you can now handle 10. Money will just make you more of what you already are. Now, for the sake of clarity, because I don't want anybody to misunderstand, okay? I'm not saying more money is a bad thing. I'm just like you. If, if uh, God wants to send more mon money my way, I'm fine with that. I'm happy. He can do it however he wants to, right? Um, I'm not saying that uh, a return on your investment is bad or getting a raise is ungodly. None of that, okay? More money is not bad. But hear what I'm saying. The deep work that most of us need to do is on the spending side. 
And the reason is because if we don't do the work on the spending side, then when God eventually, and for most of us, he will, he will give us more bags throughout our life. If we don't do the work on the spending side, as our income increases throughout our lives, we're going to lose the increase that we've been given because we keep making the same dumb mistakes we've been making since we only had one bag. So let's do this. Let's get super practical for the rest of the message. Last 15 minutes or so. How do we address this spending issue in our lives? How do we reorder our finances in a way that honors God? It helps us to steward and manage our resources a little bit better. First off, you need a budget. Now, I know this is like insultingly basic. You are a full grown adult. Okay. And here I am standing on stage telling you, you need a budget. You're like, sir, I don't need you to tell me I I need a budget. I know I need a budget. Then why don't you have a budget? (laughs) The sheer number of people that come to me as a pastor and they say, Pastor Dan, would you pray that God would give me a breakthrough in my financial life? Would you pray that he would unleash supernatural resources in my life? Would you pray for me in that way? And I always say, yes, of course, I would love to pray for that for you. However, I know that if you want to become a five bagger, you need to be faithful with the two bags that you already have. So yeah, I'm going to pray for you for sure. But I also want to make sure that you're ready when that supernatural release comes. So let's talk about how well you've been managing the two bags that you've already been given. And it's almost always a disaster. (laughs) It's almost always like there's no budget. There's tons of debt. They have no idea what they're spending spending on this category of resources or where the money goes. It just seems like there is no like intentional thought that's given. Okay. Now I know many of you are living according to a budget and you understand how important it is and good on you, but the number of people that are not is really surprising. And so if you're feeling the financial pinch and you don't have a financial budget that you're actually sticking to, that has to be your starting place. John Maxwell famously says, uh, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it all went. There are too many people that get to the end of the month and they're like, how am I so poor? Like I earn a decent living. I was so excited when I got this job and they told me the salary. I was like, this is more money than I'm ever going to need. So why is it now that I don't even know where my money goes? For most of us, it's because we don't have a budget that we stick to. And can I tell you, it has never been easier to make and stick to a budget than it is in 2023. So I'm about to turn 43 in a couple of weeks. So I'm not the youngest guy on the planet. And there is a time in my life in which the only way that we could keep track of our finances was with a pen and a paper. Like we would have to track all of our income. We would have to track all of our expenses. We would have to do like addition and subtraction and long division and all this crazy stuff by hand, you guys. Like I was born in the stone age. There were no websites. There were no apps. There was no help. You just had to do it all manually. Today, none of that is true. Like there are so many websites, so many apps, so many services, so many different ways to create a budget, to track your spending, to make sure that you're in line with the budget that you've set for yourself, that if you are not operating according to a healthy budget, you've got nobody to blame but yourself. 
Amber and I use an app called the Every Dollar app. Every Dollar, you can find it, Google Play, Apple App Store, wherever. It's put out by the Ramsey Group. We love it. We linked it to our bank account. So in that app, every dollar that gets spent on a debit or a credit card shows up. So we actually know what each other is spending, right? And then when it shows up as an expense, you get to put it in the budget that we create every month. Every month we sit down and we have a a short and sometimes awkward budget meeting where it's like, "Mm, you overspent in this category. It's like, yeah, but you overspent in that category. Yeah, but we're under in this one, so we're okay. It washes out. You know what I mean? Here's the thing. It's not always easy to communicate about finances, but you're healthier when you do. And an app like that makes it really easy to communicate with your partner. If you don't have a partner, if it's just you, you need to know where your money is going. If you don't, it's going to disappear and you're going to wonder where it went. Okay. Beyond a basic budget though, I want you to consider that after paying your taxes, after paying your, everybody's always like, Pastor Dan, should I give on my gross income or my net income? Just give, okay? It doesn't even matter. We'll set that aside for now. You gotta pay your taxes first. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. We'll leave that alone. All right. After you pay your taxes, there are only three things that you can do with your money. You can spend it, you can save it, or you can give it. That's it. Every opportunity that lies in front of you falls into one of those three categories, spend it, save it, or give it. And that's the order that most people will process their budget. Taxes, expenses, savings, and then giving. But you know as well as I do, after you've paid your taxes and you've covered your expenses, there's basically nothing left for savings or generosity. You with me? You ready for a couple more uncomfortable numbers? Okay. Except for the pandemic. The pandemic was a weird time for a lot of reasons, okay? But except for the pandemic, when we couldn't travel, we couldn't even go to the movies and stuff like that, Canadians are really bad about saving and giving. Let me show you what I mean. The average Canadian saves approximately 2% of their salary each year. That is not even close to enough, you guys. 2% of salary goes into savings. And the average Canadian will give 0.5% of their salary to charity each year. So simple arithmetic tells us that the majority of us will spend 97.5% of our salary on me. The vast majority of all the resources we have, we use to cover our expenses, So it's not surprising when we start with expenses that there's nothing left for savings, which is wise, or giving, which is generosity. Now, look, I don't believe this happens because the average North American is foolish or stingy. I think it's because we haven't prioritized our income in the right order. See, the world tells us that we're supposed to spend, then save and give. But I think Christ calls us to invert the order. We give first, we save second, and we spend last. Give first, save second, and spend last. Now, I'm not talking about amounts here. I'm not telling you that you're supposed to give more than you spend. That's unreasonable. I'm not telling you to save less than you give, okay? We're not talking about amounts or even proportions at this point. We're talking about priorities. My number one priority is to give. Why? Because I'm most like God when I give. John chapter number three, verse 16. The scripture says, for God so loved the world that for the small price of $19.99 a month, you too can have eternal life. No. 
For God so loved the world that he gave. God is a giver. The book of James tells us every good and perfect gift comes from above, from our father in heaven. God is a giver. We are most like God when we give. So as Christians, as his children, we order our our income so that we give first, we save second, and then we spend what is left. Look at what the Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, verses 1 and 2. Paul says this, now about the collection for the Lord's people in need. He's writing a letter to the church at Corinth, and he's saying, you guys know there is a need, and you guys understand you've got a responsibility to help meet the need. He, he basically says, look, there are two things that our giving is supposed to help or accomplish. That is, it's supposed to help people that are in need, and it's supposed to further God's kingdom. He says about the collection for the Lord's people who are in need. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. When he says this, he's, he's telling them this other group of churches in a different part of the Roman empire, in a different culture, they're in different countries today in modern times. He was like, I told them to do this. This is not just a command to one small group at one particular point in history. This really becomes a principle for all Christians to follow. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do on the first day of every week. Why the first day? Because that's when Christians gather to worship. We're here on a Sunday, right? Giving is an act of worship. Giving is a part of our worship. That's why we always have a giving moment at the conclusion of our services. We don't pass buckets and stuff like that, but we remind you that giving is a way to honor God, to worship him in in a tangible way. He says on the first day of every week, essentially when you're gathering for worship, I also, I don't think that it is, um, uh, you know, an unimportant detail that it's the first day of the week. We give first. It's at the beginning. It's at the start. Everything else flows from there. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Notice that Paul doesn't say in keeping with your disposable income. (laughs) After you've paid all your bills and you've had all your fun and you bought all the stuff you wanted to, whatever might be left, I want you to set aside a little bit of that to help people that are in need. No, that's not the way of Christ. Instead, he says, set aside a proportion of your income, a percentage that is in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will need to be made. Paul's saying, hey, would you guys just do this so that when I'm with you, we don't have to talk about money. Paul's, you know what I think Paul is saying here? He's like, you know what I'd rather be talking to you guys about right now? Christ. I'd rather be talking to you about Jesus. There are a whole lot more important things that we could spend 30 minutes on a Sunday talking about than money. And I would love to talk about those things instead of doing a financial series. But the reality is too many people don't understand the priorities that God has called his people to live under financially. And we don't understand the blessings that could be ours if we were to be obedient. So we'll do it. I don't want to be weird about it. And I don't want to go on forever about it. So if as the Corinthians were to on the first day of every week, set aside a proportion of their income to help the Lord's kingdom causes and people who are in need, we ought to do the same. Now, Paul clearly teaches percentage giving here, right? Set aside uh, a sum of money in keeping with your income. But it is kind of weird that he doesn't give a specific percentage, right? Doesn't that strike you as funny? You might expect him to. Um, If he wants the Corinthians to set aside a portion of their income, why doesn't he tell them how much to do 
that with? Why doesn't he give him a specific number? And I think the answer lies in the fact that if Paul does give a specific number here, we will become obsessed and fixated on that particular number. Right. So uh, let's take a tithe for just a moment. We could choose any number, but let's say 10 percent. 10 percent is taught throughout the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, pre-law, post-law, whatever. We'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks. But a tithe is a tenth of your income set aside for kingdom causes, set aside for generosity. A tenth, 10 uh, percent of your income set aside to give away to people that are in need and to the Lord's work. Now, if Paul had said in this passage on the first day of every week, I want you to set aside 10 percent of your income and save it up so that when I come, there won't be any collections made. There are going to be people in the Corinthian church who are giving like 2% of their income. And they're going to be like, is this fool crazy? 10%? That's a joke. That's an absurd amount of money. And there's no way I could possibly give 10% of my money. And what will happen is they'll say, and I've seen this happen before. They'll say, Honestly, if I'm being disobedient at 2%, I might as well be disobedient at no percent. Are you with me? Like if I'm already failing to meet the standard, who cares if I'm given two or zero, I might as well enjoy the money for myself because I'll have to deal with it someday anyhow, right? And on the flip side of that, there are people in their church, there are people in our church that give more than 10% which I know sounds bonkers. There are a fair number of people in our church that give more than 10% of their income to kingdom causes and people that are in need. Now, I don't mean they give all that money to us to connect church, though many give the majority of it there. They give it to all sorts of different initiatives, ministries, people in need, those sorts of things, all right? There are people that give 15%, 20%, 30% of their income towards uh, charitable causes. And I want you, if you are one of those people, I don't know who you are. Okay. But if you are one of those people, you are a freaking hero. Like I am so thankful for your generous spirit. You're the one who even makes this church possible. Like you carry the load for the vast majority of people who don't give anything at all. Frankly, you are the ones that are making this possible. I say all the time, the gospel is free, but ministry is not. And our ministry is made possible by those that are giving at this high level and doing it consistently. Thank you for that. But here's the deal. If Paul says 10%, Those of you guys that are given 20% are going to be like, oh, I've been overpaying. (laughs) God only wants 10. No, God is not asking you for 10. He's telling you 100% of it is his. He could ask for all of it. He could ask for none of it. He has set a target at 10%, right? And so if we, if we use a specific number, we can very quickly become legalistic. You've been a part of some churches that have become legalistic over the 10% thing. I'm not interested in any of that. I'm not saying the tithe is an irrelevant concept. In fact, I think the, the tithe or a 10th is a good target. A tithe is a target. A tenth is a target that we should be aiming for. It's a good rule of thumb that we should kind of work towards in our giving. Now, when I say target, you think of a bullseye target, right? And okay, so like 2% is the outer ring and 5% is the inner ring and 10%, that's the target. No, that's just what I told you Paul was not saying here. It's a different kind of target. We have any runners in the room? Anybody that likes to run? One person. Okay. Two people. Good. I asked the first service and nobody raised their hand. Like the lazy people come to the first service, apparently. Okay. Anyway, uh, if you've ever tried to run, you've probably set targets for yourself. You thought I want to be able to run from here to that bridge without stopping. 
So that bridge became a target. And so you took off running. But because it was your first day and you're way out of shape, you got halfway and you're like, oh gosh, I got a long way to go. And so the next day you tried again. The next day you tried again. And eventually you were able to run from here to that bridge without stopping. And then you said, I'm ready for the Olympics. No, you knew that you hadn't arrived. You reached that target. Now you set a new target for yourself, a further target, one that seems ludicrous at the start, but eventually it's like, oh yeah, I think I could do that. I saw how I went from here to there. I could probably go from here to way over there. This is the kind of target that I think a 10th represents. It's one that you work towards. I'm not asking you to give 10% of your income to the church. I'm not asking you to give 10% of your income away right now. I'm asking you to ask God, how can I take the next step forward in my giving? That target, it might be 1%, might be 2%, might be 5%, might be 12% or 15. I don't know what it is, but it's a target that you work towards. And here's what I can tell you from personal experience. I've been on both sides of this, all right? That once you get to this point where you accomplish whatever target it is that you've set for yourself in terms of your generosity, let's say 10%, when you get there, you're like, oh, this is natural. This is easy. I can't believe how easy this is. I, I used to think it was so difficult. It doesn't mean that there are not like tight times and all that sort of stuff. But you discover that A, it's not as hard as you think to give away a significant portion of your income. B, you don't need as much as you think you do. You're already wealthier than 90% of the people on the planet. You could get by with a lot less. And see, there is something really, I don't know, I'm just gonna talk for myself here, okay? Because I think you're all more spiritual than I am. There is something really important that happens in my heart when I give away a significant portion of my income. Because it becomes this constant reminder that money is not my savior, because I have a tendency to think that money is going to save me. I do. I grew up really poor and I always needed money and wanted money and I couldn't have it. And then I grew up and I started getting it. And I'm like, yeah, I can buy all the stuff that I never got to have when I was a kid, you know? And so money becomes super important to me to give me my security, give me my joy, all those things that we talked about last week. And so when I give away a significant portion of my income every month, it's a reminder, money can't give you what you're after, Dan. Only God can. It's a way of breaking money's grip on my heart. And I think it's the same for all of us. So the 10th is a target. It's something we work towards. And then once you get there, you're like, oh, what was I so worried about? God is trustworthy. And it's like, he keeps giving me more bags as time goes on anyway. It seems like everything is okay, right? Okay, so let me do this. Let me, let me wrap up here by giving you some questions for reflection, okay? Some things to, to think about, process, consider. This is just you and the Lord thinking and talking here. You're not gonna share with your neighbor or anything like that. The first question is this, what would it look like for me to take my next step in giving? What would it look like to take the next step in giving? Um, for those of you guys that are giving 0%, like it, it's probably um, gonna be real difficult for you to jump in at 10% or 15%, whatever, you know what I mean? But like, is there, is there a step forward that you could take in your generosity that would show you that like, if I walk down this path, God just seems to show up. He just seems to meet my needs and it, I'm taken care of. And life seems a little more joyful. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. You will prove him right when you take these steps of faith. Now you say, Dan, I know what you're doing, man. You're trying to beef up your own bank account. You're trying to get the church rich. This is all very self-serving. Don't give it to me. 
give it to somebody else. Give it to another church, give it to another ministry, give it to people in our city that are in need. Now, when you learn that God is trustworthy, would you come back and help bless the house that taught you that truth? But I mean this very sincerely. Give it somewhere else if this is your hang up. If this is the thing that's keeping you, give it to somebody else. I don't care. You will learn that God blesses obedience and and generosity if you take steps. So I'm asking you, what would it look like to take one step forward in your giving? Second question, how in the heck do I get my spouse and I on the same page when it comes to giving? How much unity is there in your home between you and your partner when it comes to uh, giving to the Lord's kingdom and people that are in need? If you're single, okay, if you're single here this morning, you're thinking to yourself, man, I can't wait until I find my person and then we're gonna have two incomes. We're gonna have so many resources to give. It's gonna be so easy once I get married. Ask any married person you know, it gets harder after you get married. Why? Because now you got two people that have to sign off on the giving, all right? It gets way harder. And one of the most common frustrations and difficulties and points of tension that I hear is from married people who say, I want to give at this percentage, but my partner doesn't want to give anything. Or they want to give way down here at this percentage. How do we get on the same page? And I think it's going to start with communication. So for the, my guess is, if you're in this circumstance, you've tried to talk about this in the past. There hasn't been agreement. It's led to friction and fighting. So it's like, all right, forget it. We just won't talk about this. All right? We can't have a circumstance, we talked about this in our last years, we can't have a circumstance in which somebody like demands their rights at the expense of somebody else. So there's got to be communication. There's probably going to have to be compromise on some level. So if there's one partner that wants to give X percent and another partner that wants to give Y percent, is there a percent that we could agree on? Again, you don't have to give it to connect. I don't care about that. Is there a percentage that you could agree on that you would set aside at the start of every pay period and say, we're going to look for opportunities to bless and serve people that are in need and to expand God's kingdom at this percent. Their faith may not be where your faith is today, but let's find a point that we can both agree on. It's not going to be zero. It's probably not going to be 10%. Let's find some place in the middle that we could agree on and move forward from there. All right. You're going to have to get on the same page. Here's what I know. If you guys don't have, there are only three things you do with your money. You can spend it, save it, give it. If you don't have unity around giving, my guess is you probably don't have a lot of unity around saving or spending either. But if you can find unity in one of those, it'll start to impact positively the others as well. This is good for your marriage, I promise you. Okay, last question. How might my spending need to change in order to prioritize savings and giving? Savings is wisdom. It's just wise to have margin. And and giving is generosity. It is something that God calls us to. It's a wonderful and joyful thing. There are only three parts of the pie. So if one of them or two of them are going to grow, the other ones have to shrink a little bit. So what might need to change in my spending so that I could prioritize these other areas as well? God, I'm just asking you to bless us with your spirit. Give us your wisdom. Give us your power. Give us the desire to do the things that you've called us to do, Lord. Um, I trust what Jesus said, that it really is more blessed to give than to receive. And I pray that all of us would discover just how true that statement is. So I pray that you would bring unity in, in homes. I pray that, God, there would be a desire to use our resources to bless and benefit your kingdom and the world around us. And I'm just praying, God, that you would free us from the grip that money has on our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.